I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2018 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. Today's program features a diverse group of precision experts sharing individual and collective insights gathered during roundtable discussions at the 2018 Precision Farming Dealer Summit. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll make every effort to get it added here as well. And by subscribing, that will allow you to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. I also encourage you to mark your calendars and plan to attend the upcoming Dealership Minds Summit, July 24th and 25th in Iowa City, Iowa. The theme of this dealer-only event is intelligence-driven marketing and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Space is limited, and you can visit dealershipmindsummit.com for more information and updates. Packaging and pricing service plans, effective strategies for selling used technology, and perspective on where suppliers can improve on precision products and support. Having a forum to question, debate, and perhaps even vent about points of pain can be both therapeutic and educational for dealers. With a common goal of better serving customers, being able to pick the brains of peers in an informal setting is a unique learning environment. This year's Precision Farming Dealer Summit featured 21 different dealer roundtables, moderated by a diverse group of Precision Insiders who diligently took note of the most valuable talking points discussed during their respective sessions. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast, these Precision experts share their top takeaways and advice from their roundtable conversations at the summit. Casey Neiman with AgriSync. We had the service planning uh, workshop. I think the key takeaway was that all of us in our room, our time here is valuable and we've got to get a lot better at tracking and billing for our time inside of service plans if we're going to have sustainable teams moving forward. And a couple of key takeaways. Number one is the groups that are actually adding a service plan to every new piece of equipment sold are doing well in terms of not only being able to bring revenue into their precision ag department, but also getting more people in the boat in terms of at the dealership, your salesman, your uh, technician. So having a line item on every net new piece of equipment, at least that first year that includes some sort of a value added service plan was one of the key takeaways. And then the components of that service plan, we talked about warranty, uh, loaners, Training was brought up as a key element to make sure that you're doing at least a couple of training sessions a year. And obviously traditional things like phone support on farm activations are some of the key things. But there was a a variety of folks, some that don't have service plans at all and are thinking about it and others that were able to speak from two to three years of experience with service plans that were able to share some best practices. But the key takeaway was that you need them in order to make sure that you have a transparent way to communicate your time to your farmers. All right. Uh, my name is Jamie Paquin with Reichart Electronic Innovations, and I was the moderator for the Advancing Autonomous Vehicles in Ag, What's Next? And first of all, we had a fantastic group of individuals, and they all contributed very interesting discussions. So I wanted to thank my group for that opportunity to be a part of that. Uh, first and foremost, we generated more questions than answers on this topic. This topic has absolutely been uh, trending in the news and uh 
trending with the publications that Jack's responsible for, so it's very interesting. One of the takeaways is this will be the future. It's not just a trend. It's not a fad that's going to go away. Uh, there's already regulations in place relative to the internal combustion engine. It's been outlawed in so several countries already. Timelines are in place. Everybody in our group agreed that this is not going to uh, go by the wayside. The adoption is a reality. It'll be quicker than we may believe. Nobody, could, put, of course, could put an exact time on it, but it's going to come faster than we expect. New technology has a positive impact. Uh, this was probably the most exciting thing for me that I hadn't considered. It will shift skill requirements, but the need for the skilled people will still exist. So it's not like we're all going to be letting a swarm of autonomous vehicles eliminate work for everybody. Uh, that's exciting to me that there's opportunities there, and that means there's going to be opportunities for the dealers. The adoption into the autom automotive industry is creating affordability to ag. Who's going to win the race to full autonomy is hard to say, if it's the ag sector, the automotive industry, or whatever. Could an ag dealer look like a car rental lot in the future? For example, renting swarms of autonomous vehicles. That's one of the questions that came up, very interesting. And uh, no doubt farm operations will increase in size. We'll see more corporate farming. OEMs will have to decide where they're going to play in this mix. And dealers will become service providers. This is an opportunity for data management services. And uh, logistics and cloud-based uh, cloud dependence is going to play a part in that. I'm Kevin Depius with Richie Implement. We had the opportunity to talk a little bit about tech troubleshooting tricks, tips, and triumphs. Uh, we had a very broad base of, uh, of group members there, anything from independents to OEM guys. Uh, had an agronomist and had a gentleman from South Africa there as well. So we had quite a spectrum of, of what we had out there for infield experiences. A couple of the big key takeaways truly come down to not making assumptions, not overlooking the simple things. You know, sometimes we, we get frustrated ourselves out there of people asking us the simple questions, but yet uh, we forget to ask that simple question and go around a rabbit hole and an hour later you find out it was just a one button press answer. So, you know, the, one of the biggest tips is just don't overlook the obvious. The other thing, you know, we're all technology people and it was a really good conversation came up about leveraging our technology, uh, making our lives a little bit easier by utilizing FaceTimes, team viewers, or even uh, AgriSync as well was one of the big discussion topics we had, just how much easier it makes our lives when we know what the other guy is looking at, um, as well as the ability to log our time and our conversations uh, using technology that's out there. Another one of the, the items we talked about was training. You know, training ultimately dabbles down to the, the troubleshooting process and training our own in-house in, in staff as well as our customer base. Uh, a few things customer base-wise was with clinics at the beginning of the season, um, as well as all the way down to an intimate experience with the, with the dealership and the customer on their own farm with their own equipment uh, to get them a good two-hour concise training program built to their needs. Um, lastly, we talked about networking, utilizing our outside resources. We've all been in them situations where you pick up the phone and it really gets you out of a jam. And one last interesting piece we had was uh, one of our uh, group members, they started breaking down CAN code so they could build their own troubleshooting book or manual to really figure out what controller was causing the issue right off the bat. So some guys are taking the matters into their own hands. I'm Jason Pennycook with Johnson Tractor. Our group, we talked about the strategies for selling and servicing used technology. We had a good group and a good discussion in there. Uh, some of the key takeaways we had were that for used equipment, we only want to go back so far. Going back too far, it's hard to sell it, you just sit on it forever. 
trading it in for the right price. You can't give too much for it because guys want used equipment. They're usually looking for a cheaper um, way into precision. So if you got too much into it on the front side, you're never going to make it on the back side. So think about what you can sell it for and what you need to be given for it when you um, trade that in or buy a piece of used equipment. One of the other key things was displays seem to be the one of the biggest things that guys are looking for. They keep going out with new displays. So that was one of the main things that a lot of the guys said that had customers want for used equipment is main displays, mainly displays. Um, another key point we had one guy talk about was the fact that when they sell used equipment, he takes all the cables out. He just, you get controllers, display modules, that kind of stuff, take the cables out of the equation. It's used equipment, you get a bad cable. He said you fight that. So when, you, when he sells used equipment, you buy new cables. One of the biggest things is to move the equipment. Don't trade something in or get some used equipment that you can't sell. The longer you sit on it, eventually you're just going to have to eat it and no one's going to buy it. You also want to make sure that um, you check the equipment over and make sure it's working. Um, whether that means you check it over in-house or you send it out to another provider to have them checked over before you sell used equipment, make sure that it's working and you're good to go. Okay, I'm Clint Schnorr with Vantage Northwest, and I had the opportunity to facilitate how to organize and execute a successful field day. Good group, great content, and uh, a lot of good ideas, but maybe some key things that uh, we should think about when we're doing field days. Set a goal for the event, so make sure you know what you're wanting to accomplish. Is it sales? Is it education? Is it a specific product that you're uh, going after? Next step would be to target your customer base, so uh, sometimes we're doing things like open house, and that's great, but if we want to do something very specific, make sure you bring the right target customer in. Uh, and then market to them uh, using social media, email, text, direct mail, stuff like that. Uh, make sure that you're doing this uh, consistently and right up to the event and even calling those people to get them in for it. Uh, then organize and share the work. So there's uh, a lot that goes into making a successful event, and it can't be any one individual person in your dealership's responsibility to pull that off. So uh, that takes some planning and organization before you get started, but make sure everybody's contributing to that event. And then some ideas on some uh, things that might work well in an event, but uh, look at structuring things for some basic operation or advanced operation. Uh, consider incorporating breakout sessions and look for some opportunity to talk about not only legacy technology, but new technology and try to balance that mix to your customer base. Hi, I'm Joanna King with AgriSync. And I was in the roundtable for turning digital ag potential into profit. And so we had a, a very interesting group of people in our room. We had a full room. Um, we had from dealers. We actually had a farmer. And we had some software and data people there as well, and people from around the country and the globe. Um, so just some interesting representation to start off with. Um, but really, our, our topic really dove more into ag data and the potential for how to turn that into value and how to communicate that value to the farmers to turn that into something that's billable for the dealer. Um, so a few of the things that we talked about were um, some of the issues that the dealers are facing up front was some farmers are seeing that there's value in data, but they're not necessarily um, taking, um, taking the best efforts to 
turn around and provide good data themselves. Um, so some of these dealers are seeing a lot of junk data. So we talked about some opportunities for how to avoid that and just really how to clean up data. And um, what we found was different billing approaches. So some um, somebody suggested having an hourly billable um, approach to cleaning up data and saw that they had some very good results the next year. Um, so um, some other things that we talked about were, first of all, before you go and try to sell this as an extra value add, is to really understand and segment your customer base and understand what are, um, what are their risk aversions, what are their um, ultimate goals for the farm, and then also what is their own potential for using these digital tools within agriculture. Um, and then take that information to have a better approach to selling, and then you're reaching out to people who are gonna be the, um, the best prospect to take advantage of the use of data in agriculture. So those are our key takeaways. Bill Lemkul, Precision Agri-Services Incorporated, and the session that I had was, technically speaking, where can suppliers improve? And we kind of turned a table on that, and I'll let you know about that here shortly. But we had a good small mix of individuals in the room. Uh, we had seven of us, and basically we had two OEMs, OEM dealers, machinery dealers. Two of us were independent dealers, and it was nice. We had three manufacturers uh, represent in the room. I wish we could have had more manufacturers, reps, but the first question that I asked the group and, and it turned out to be our focal points was, uh, what's your biggest pain point in dealing with suppliers? And I think all of you techs in here can probably guess what the first issue is, and that is compatibility issues uh, across the board. You know, I've got a red tractor with a green planter, green tractor with a red planter, etc. And uh, as we all know, there's different levels of ISO compatibility and things like that. So we, we brought that up to the manufacturers that were in the room. Next was lack of knowledge from the tech support personnel, pretty much that went the gamut of pointing fingers back and forth. For example, if you've got a, a alternate system on your tractor or piece of equipment such as Ag Leader or Precision Planning, there's a lot of finger pointing back and forth. It's basically, let's just get it solved for the farmer and, and get on with it. So the manufacturers are quick to point out because I know some of us as techs get frustrated when you call into tech support and, and you know more than the first guy that answers the phone, but understand that there's a balancing act there and that, that it's a buffer between moving up the chain and tech support. So just wanted to be aware of that. And the next biggest issue was communication. Don't hide the problem. If you see an issue, make sure that that's communicated out to the field of the techs. And, and that's what we told the manufacturers, even if it's something simple. And then the manufacturer asked, you know, what's the best way to do that? We kind of came to a consensus that as, as a group, text message the problem directly out to the service people and then have a link that they can go to rather than having them spend a lot of time searching for it. So those were just some of our takeaways. We'll get back to the program in a moment, but here's a brief message about one of our other Lesseter Media podcasts. Hi, I'm Kim Schmidt of On The Record. Prepared by the editors of Ag Equipment Intelligence, our On The Record is a short-form podcast you can take in while enjoying a cup of coffee. Released twice a month, this 10-minute podcast has all the important news you need to know about as it happens in the North American farm machinery business. Search Ag Equipment Intelligence on your favorite podcast station. 
Now back to the Precision Farming Dealer podcast. My name is Andy Thompson, Vieta Manufacturing. We had a roundtable actionable insights for adding agronomic services. Had about 30 people in there, and kind of the the, the summary of the discussion was uh, there was a few dealers in our group that really, I guess what I would call more so, they are agronomy dealers, and then they've got into selling precision ag equipment because they saw the basically the need for it in their area because of a lack of it. Uh, but most were precision ag retailers that were looking to evolve their precision ag departments. So just kind of take the next step with with uh, the services they were already providing, or some of them were actually uh, precision ag retailers that were in there in the discussion trying to, to cut down on mistakes from from, from their farmers, the, the maps, the the wrecks and stuff like that, kind of from the, the agronomist. So uh, one of the potential problems with uh, as, as I guess I'll put it, vertical integration, uh, the precision ag dealers adding the agronomic services. Uh, one of the, the problems that was brought up was creating competition with the agronomy retailers, which uh, so many times are also uh, customers of the precision ag dealer, especially on the main line, you know, buying sprayers and, and that sort of thing there. So there was a lot of talk about I guess I would say not stepping on toes, so to speak. But ultimately, there appears to be a lack of communication in the industry between agronomists and the precision ag dealers. Uh, so really, we're uh, quite a few people are asking questions trying to address that. And really, one, one person put it that farmers are like the general contractors for their farm. They're the ones, I mean, they're steering the ship, but they have to rely on the input or the services from so many different people. And so when they when they get the ag re, the precision ag retailer and then they get the agronomist services and they're trying to, to uh, put those services together, they need to make sure that everybody is, is speaking the same language. And so somebody brought up one, one great way to do that is for that farmer to have a meeting. And so as a precision ag dealer, maybe going to your farmers and, you know, bringing up to them, hey, maybe it's time that, you know, that we, we have a meeting, that you schedule a meeting with the agronomist and with uh, myself, and then we go in there and we actually have this discussion to make sure that when they're making maps or they're making recs, that they understand the right way to do it. And then they're also taking other things into account. I mean, they're out there just providing the agronomy services, but... You know, maybe they're actually making wrecks that they didn't take everything into account, like some of the equipment or, or some of the um, possibilities there. So just getting everybody together and getting on the same page uh, was, was kind of one of the, the big main takeaways. So for me, ultimately, it appears that agronomy is becoming uh, a closer to precision ag equipment dealers' decisions and focus. But really, we're, I don't see a full integration of adding a, a full agronomic services uh, happening anytime soon because uh, so many times we're, you know, we're not wanting to alienate potential customers. So uh, the, basically, the perceived risk is, is really bigger than the perceived reward. It's driving decisions, but really incrementally um, driving decisions uh, as far as the agronomy and not just, I guess, jumping all in. I'm Wade Black with Richie Implement, and we had a very good discussion uh, logging into the potential of online sales opportunities. We did have a small group. We had anything from equipment dealers to people that specialize in selling online. I guess briefly to start out, the consensus was selling online is a used market. Selling new precision equipment online, it just it doesn't work out that well. Um, and the what we all agreed on was it is a time commitment. You have to know your place in the market. For us, we are a equipment dealer. We sell iron. You know, we wouldn't go and put a lot of resources out to selling used precision equipment. And 
a big part of our discussion was not sitting on that used precision equipment, networking like what we're doing here today, finding someone that specializes like um, John in our group. That's all he does. He sells used precision equipment and you can't sit on you can't sit on stuff because it's, it's just not going to go up in value. We've all been fighting the same battle regarding sitting on used equipment, how to price it, how to sell it, where to market it, um, using third-party sources such as eBay, Facebook Marketplace, AgTalk, anything to get your products out there. And the biggest takeaway that I would take from it is networking with people around you and finding a place for that equipment. Good morning, my name is Bruce Westerfield with Ride Implement. We had a good group in, in discussion on uh, recruiting and retention. Had a, several OEM dealerships in there, some smaller, some bigger, along with some independents. Had some very good discussion. But as far as the uh, recruiting part of it, uh, a, lot of, a lot of us said that we need to hire local people and it comes a lot more successful. Also, recruiting four-year college-educated students instead of high school ends up being a lot long-term better fit for the dealerships. Um, utilize social media for hiring processes. There was several different people had HR departments. It went different ways, but and none was highly successful, but social media was, was one way that you can get some to come in. As far as retention, uh, Show respect to your precision specialist. Sometimes they get abused as far as precision specialists uh, get all the credit jobs, so to speak. And as far as our retention of, of uh, precision specialists, we all seem to have problems throughout the room that, in, in each dealership. Need to pay more attention to the technology side of the business and forget about selling the iron sometimes for the OEM dealers. The independents didn't have that problem. Matter of fact, they said they take advantage of the uh, OEM dealers because the OEM, de OEM dealers did not pay attention to technology near as much so. One, one dealer was, took all their uh, new hires throughout their dealership as far as the different departments and had them run through each department to show pride in the dealership. And that's another way that they thought that they held retention. But overall, we'd, we struggle with retention and, and we need to just work at it a little bit harder. I'm Mike Pringler with HBS Systems. I did the roundtable on do I need a CRM system for my precision business. We had a small group. It seemed that probably half the group is utilizing a CRM for their precision business now. Most of the group was interested in how to implement a CRM for their precision business or the dealership in general. Some of the problems that the dealerships are facing is getting senior people at the dealerships to actually utilize and use the CRM functionality that the dealership's providing, whether that be part of their business system or third-party Salesforce or IronHQ. We talked through some different methods um, regarding incentivizing people to put data inside the CRM system because it's only as good as the data you put in and using a point system that would penalize people that didn't necessarily use the system correctly. In general, it seemed that, that most people want to use a CRM. They're investing pretty good resources into their CRM and definitely see the benefit of putting a CRM inside the dealership to, to help track activities and to increase sales and profitability. 
Um, my name is Corey Cross, and I had the pleasure of moderating the best practices for building my precision business. Um, had a very diverse group, had some independent consultants in the room, some ag retailers, some single location equipment dealers, and then um, multiple, multiple location equipment dealers. One of the main things that really um, came through was is that we, that everybody needed to understand what the mission of their business was to help establish their brand. And that the brand is a promise to the customer for what they can expect to be delivered through solutions, services, and the utilization of the brand's products. But the major takeaway that was if we're going to create any brand, we have to establish a value. So it's mandatory that we charge for the services that we provide to the customer. Because if we're doing it for free, then it's very hard to ever charge anything going forward. I'm Bill Moskal, moderated the uh, what is the real ROI behind UAVs and our consensus was no one knows. So basically they figured that more money was in the support packages than actually selling the UAVs. We had a smaller group, about 12, 15 people there and half were actively selling UAVs. Uh, the other half were interested. The DJI seemed to be the most popular platform because it was the most available, the probably cheapest out there. Talked about data overload in there. You can go out there and get so many pictures with the UAVs, whether it be just straight photos or the NDVI or anything else. And it can be kind of overwhelming to customers to have all that data. You also have to position it correctly. You can't go out there to someone who is maybe just doing yield mapping or yield monitoring and try and sell them a UAV that's not gonna fly because what does it mean to them? Or like that guy who you print off the maps for at the end of the year and he says, well, thanks, and he's done. You just have to position itself, yourself correctly. Um, we talked a lot about the future and there may be no ROI now, but with as rapidly as UAVs are advancing and the technology for data analytics are advancing, will there be an ROI in the future? And getting into it now to position yourself to be that trusted advisor, to be that person that if someone has questions to come and ask, because it is a, it is a large market and there's a lot of people out there doing that. And then finally, the last thing was probably outlets for the UAVs in other industries besides ag. So thinking about the construction or the uh, search and rescue or something that you may be able to build a relationship with those people instead of just working with that ag market and thinking outside the box that way. My name is Jeff Pace with eEmphasis Technologies and our uh, discussion roundtable was what is the Internet of Things and how will it change my business? And to that question of how will it change my business really left more questions than answers. We discussed the Internet of Things that covers so many different you know, aspects of a business, so many different topics. One we discussed was preventative maintenance say, uh, getting data from your, your uh, customers on whether, say, your oil is low on a machine and uh, fixing that problem before it becomes a bigger problem. And will that actually increase service revenue or will that hurt service revenue and how best to maximize that? Another uh, issue we had was how deep will IoT go? We even discussed potentially, will there be you know little RFID or sensors on individual soybeans, for example, and what are the implications of that? on how deep the IoT will go. Uh, another topic we discussed was uh, one of the big problems with IoT and precision farming in general is there, there's just so much data out there. How do people utilize the data and who gets that data? 
because right now you're getting data from, from growers, from OEMs, from all different people. There's no standardized format. So how best do we utilize that and will there be an agreement where at some point there is a standardized format of data that can be usable? Another uh, topic was how basically IoT is expected to grow 20% in sales to agriculture year after year going forward. So what is the entry point for dealers to start selling more IoT applications to farmers? And uh, another uh, topic that was uh, covered is will all this data lead to a consolidation of OEMs in larger farm operations where since say, where's someone gonna use all case or all John Deere because the data is easily readable it's in one format that they can uh, utilize. And these are just a few of the things that we covered. All right, I'm Phil Davister. Uh, I did the tech troubleshooting tips, tricks, and triumphs. We had a pretty good group, different mix, red, green, some independents. What we found out is that in this department, we're kind of held to a different standard. A lot of time we're chasing ghosts. If a guy's tractor can't steer because his tie rod stamped off, he can accept that. When it doesn't steer right because the screens tell him it's not steering right, he doesn't accept that too well. So dealing with some of those goals, chasing gremlins all the time, and sometimes you can come up with fixes, you're not sure what you did, or just dealing with those issues. And a lot of it too is dealer support. Some of our frustrations are we call in to like a deer, first thing they tell you is what's your software version, that dreaded question. And it, you know it's not a software issue, but yet you can't get any outside help until they, you get on the latest software, even though you not, know it's not the issue, so you waste some time there. And one thing too, to also remember the basics, sometimes you get a call, guy call in, screen's not working, simple thing is your planner raised up. Oh, forget I, forget I called to fix the problem. So sticking with the basics and sharing, talking with your own dealership, the people around you, what's working, what's not working, and keeping everything going. Okay, thank you. My name is Bruce West uh, with West Enterprises, and uh, um, the topic was collaborators, not competitors, establishing a peer or a precision network, or what I would have called a, a, a peer group. And we had a nice, uh, nice group and a nice uh, roundtable type of discussion. And we started off by kind of uh, got to the point to understand that there are different types of peer groups that you can be part of. Uh, some of them are structured peer groups, which I know many of you in this room are already part of. And a lot of them can be, uh, even, even this event today could be a kind of fall under that umbrella of a peer group. And then as it was uh, pointed out, there's also the unstructured peer groups. It's when we go out here to the, to the local watering hole and we sit down and we talk about an issue or, or a, a problem that we may be experiencing. And so there's, there's structured and unstructured. We determined that one of the most important things that you need to have for a peer group or a group that you put together is that you need to have a goal. You need to have a reason for getting together. And a couple of the examples that were thrown out were uh, in uh, one area of the country, there's a nutrient management group. Now it's predominantly uh, producers, which is something we also heard about this morning, but it's a producer, producer uh, peer group that does involve uh, governmental agencies and that type of thing. And they have a goal of obviously dealing with nutrient management issues. Uh, there's also the business improvement, business development types of peer groups, which uh, again, I think would fall under the, the category 
category that a lot of us would, would potentially be in. One of the things that uh, um, I know from my own personal experience that I uh, think is important for the group, uh, it does need to have a leader. So whether it be the nutrient management group where maybe it's a local soil and water conservation district that takes on the leadership role or uh, in a more formalized group where you have a facilitator, there, there does need to be a leader uh, for, that, for that peer group. You know, you, if you have a goal, but you also need to want to figure out what kind of benefits that you get out of, of, a, of a peer group. And as one of the participants brought up, a lot of times it's the knowledge of learning that, hey, other people have the same problem that I have, that I'm not an island out here on my own. And I think uh, another benefit that comes out of a, a lot of peer groups and participation in a peer group is that you now have a group of mentors. And so it's an opportunity to, to have some mentoring take place. So uh, uh, we uh, covered a lot of different topics or areas of, of peer groups, and, and I hope that everybody has a chance to go forward with that. Gary Mock, uh, Lone Star Agronomics. We, our topic was for independent dealers only. And very blessed to have a very uni unique group that um, looked at flexibility. And they looked at the ability to stay ahead of the competition. They realized that um, vision and goals um, that the suppliers, third party manufacturers, uh, OEMs all have goals and visions that were a little bit different. And so that the independents did play a very important role in that chain of um, of being able to help that farmer, to be able to, they realized that they was able to stay ahead of the competition and uh, really look at their regions, look at their state, look at the farmers around them and customize a plan to be able to help and support them by being flexible. That money was not always the issue, that you can always throw money into things, but you couldn't always get it fixed. So they saw the flexibility that was there. You know, finding a need and filling it. They found really quickly that the need of a farmer may not be a piece of equipment, but the way it's being handled or the retrofits that may be done that um, everybody else is telling you, no, that's not possible. No, you can't do that. But they're looking at just a little bit can make a, a lot of difference. So they found that they were definitely the cohesion. They were the glue that was going to hold that industry together. Um, they realized that there was no rules, that they could write a lot of those themselves, and the color basically just didn't matter. Um, and they took away some of the things of finger pointing that starts um, showing up very, very quickly. They were the last resort. They were the person that uh, felt the pains of the farmer as well and wanted to help them. They realized that um, they have a can-do attitude, that uh, no is never the answer. They're always looking outside of the box. And more than anything, um, we talked a little bit about customer retention and customer follow-up, that that is definitely an area as a uh, independent to be able to work toward more. They knew that limit is you know time and money. And more than anything, service plans take some time to implement, so they realize they need to be a little bit more persistent in that. Eric Sifko with Bader & Sons, a John Deere dealer out of Michigan. So we did the roundtable discussion on trying to prove the ROI to our customers on the products that they're buying from us. Over the years, it was pretty simple, you know, showing customers auto steer. That's, you know, that's an easy, that's an easy buy. Uh, section control, you can see where it's going to save, you know, with the overlap. But some of these products today, the circumstances that we deal with as in our industry um, that have to do with mother nature and different things, the data can get skewed and it's almost hard um, to prove the, you know, show actual numbers. So maybe we need to look at um, 
selling more as a, a risk management tool rather than, you know, prove, trying to prove it with hard numbers. Um, it's not always, those numbers aren't always available. Um, some of the different things that they did talk about doing, though, to try to prove where our products worked was using drones to show overlap control with pesticides and herbicides and seed overlap, using GoPros mounted in the seed furrows, using time-lapse cameras to show emergence. The other thing that we talked about was looking at not selling based off from a luxury because those dollars are not there on the farms today to spend as a luxury, but more as, you know, doing a better job on the farm. And I think overall, as an industry, we need to do a better job of trying to collect more data at the end of the year and, and coming back to these growers and trying to prove to them, you know, with what data we can collect, did they save, where did they save, and, you know, how we can go forward with selling them more solutions and products. So. Hi, I'm Ann Salemo, Charter Software, and I was the uh, facilitator for the aftermarket opportunities. And um, we had a great group. It was uh, primarily dealers who carried major lines, and we had just had a couple of precision angle-only people in our group, as far as I could tell. So... Um, we talked about what's the big driving need to carry um, another aftermarket line, and um, basically everyone agreed that it was because they had a customer, an existing customer, who had heard about a product, and that was driving the need for the dealer to evaluate whether they want to take that product on or not. So ways that they vetted out short lines um, were things like, um, one said, well, we've got owners who have farms, and we would bring that equipment on to the farm and see how it went. And if we liked it, that was, if, if the owner liked it or whatever, then, then we'd take that line on. But the majority of the time, people, when they're vetting out lines, are talking to other dealers. They're finding out about vendor support, what the warranty reimbursement is, are the parts available, that was a big piece of it. Is there durability to the product? And first and foremost, I think, was margin. Can we get margin? Um, and one of the things that we talked about was um, that the market is not made up of early adopters in this industry, which probably doesn't surprise any of you, um, and that most of the users in the current market won't do anything unless they um, have a driving need to do it. There are very few people who are just going to say, wow, it's new and shiny and I'm going to buy it right now, and um, there are those, but um, they're far and few between. One of the things, we talked about threats in the aftermarket and whether we want to, what threats there are. There were two major ones that I summarized out of this. One is obsolescence. Um, this is a lot different than the uh, mainline equipment that the deal are carrying, the obsolescence is a much bigger issue. That was also kind of a deciding uh, factor as far as determining vendors. There are certain vendors that actually would take the, um, take the units back if they weren't selling. But uh, one of the other biggest threats was that there just are simply too many precision egg people uh, in, the, in their market area. And as a result, that's kind of reducing the margins significantly. A couple of lines that I thought, there was a line, a product line that everybody seemed to, not everyone, but there was positive feedback on, which was called Surefire Egg, mainly because it was easy to install, um, equipment agnostic, it was plug and play. But a couple of the other names that um, were thrown around were actually um, sponsors here, so I'm going to mention them. <laughs> Reichart, um and Digifarm, and then also um, someone throughout field, field-wise irrigation. When I asked the group, like, what... 
is it better to deal with wait for the OEM to come up with a solution for aftermarket? And the majority said, no, we would rather make those decisions ourselves. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, the manufacturers, they said, tend to be not as nimble and they would like to be able to be a little bit quicker to the trigger. Um, ways they create opportunities are providing great product support, going to the coffee shop and letting their customers market for them. Um, so, but other ways, um, their print is going away. A lot of people shook their heads like, no, we're not doing print anymore. Um, they're using Facebook, YouTube videos. These are things that are providing visibility for those products. And uh, that was it. Well, thank you to each of the moderators for sharing their takeaways and advice accumulated during their roundtable discussions. And those listeners who would like to see more coverage of the Summit Roundtables and the entire event mentioned during the program, please visit precisionfarmingdealer.com. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262 267-7-7-2-4-4-1. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast series in iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free daily email update. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Finally, another quick reminder to join us at the upcoming Dealership Minds Summit, July 24th and 25th in Iowa City, Iowa. The theme of this dealer-only event is intelligence-driven marketing and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Space is limited, and you can visit dealershipmindsummit.com for more information and updates. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on April 26th for the next episode in our 2018 podcast series and look for continuing coverage of our third Precision Farming Dealer Summit throughout the coming year. For the Summit Roundtable moderators and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>